Hello, I'm Emma Louise Coffey and you're welcome to The Dairy Edge, the Chagas Dairy Podcast. We're bringing you the latest information, insights and opinion to improve dairy farm performance. On this week's episode of The Dairy Edge, we are focusing on winter milk and dairy specialist Joe Patton gives guidelines for developing profitable systems. But first I asked him for an overview of winter milk production in Ireland. So the broad outline of, of numbers on uh, for winter for winter milk um, would be, you know, uh, the last last check would be about there are about seventeen eighteen hundred registered liquid milk producers. So that would mean those farms would have a defined contract with with their processor that, that determines you know the, the number of liters etc. There's about seventeen hundred of those that are producing for for the fresh milk market, but also there's another. Uh, sector there, which is an interesting group, really. They're somewhere in the middle. Um, they may not be contracted, but they're they're producing winter milk for a for a, for a given market, I suppose, or for whatever for their own reasons within within the, within the within the year. So th- there's probably another 800 of those. So when you add it up between the two groups, you're probably talking somewhere around 2,200 2,400 dairy farms that are calving cows in the autumn to produce milk over the winter period. And and then in terms of performance on those farms, Joe. The performance of the farm, is, yeah. Look, it's it's a it's something that um, when you look at the numbers, it, it's possibly quite surprising for for people. Um, Emily, it's like the the average um, the average uh, winter milk supplier output for say twenty eighteen in terms of solids, it comes in at around four hundred and thirty kilos of milk solids produced, around five and a half thousand kilos of milk. Okay, so uh, that's ballpark where they're at. You know, so that that's relative to let's say, for example, the spring calving herds are about three ninety uh, solids and about just under five thousand kilos of milk delivered. So you're really talking about forty kilos of milk solids higher than your average spring producer, and at four thirty. Now, the four thirty, while being higher than spring producers, they're not. Um, even though I suppose the perception, the traditional perception of winter milk is that they're very high input, high output herds. The data would suggest that. The output is relatively moderate at a on an average on the average winter milk herd. Now, having said that, your your top ten percent of winter milk suppliers will be delivering over five hundred and thirty kilos of milk solids, closer to seven thousand kilos of milk, which is really um, which is decent performance overall. Okay. And then, if we look at say, if I look back to the say uh, the spring calving model, you know, it's very much mimics grass growth and and mirrors, you know, the grass growth curve, and in in terms of what we're our demand for cows and and what they're eating is, is based on the I suppose the grass growth model. You know, what does the I suppose the feed demand and the feed budget look for look like um, in a, a winter milk system? Yeah, that's good. It's a good question because the, the the thing I suppose we need to remember about winter milk is that the contract conditions and the, the the percentages of milk required over the winter period, etc., can be very variable, depending on the processor and also depending on the individual contract. So there will be quite different. You know, winter milk can be anything defined from calving fifteen percent in the autumn up to you know there's a small number of farms calving you know, 100% in the autumn, but the average person is probably calving something around 35% of their herd in, in, in the autumn period. So that variation and that range does change the, it makes it more difficult in a way to um, to, to define the, the, the you know, to, the, to define the individual system, I suppose. But look, 
in broad terms, I suppose, what we have seen in terms of the profitability on the system is that what we've pushed people to do, and people that have control of the calving pattern have done this, is that you meet the requirements for winter. You, you look at your contract, you define what your requirements are for winter milk to make sure you meet your premium and meet your supply requirements. And then after that, that you try whatever's left in terms of calving cows, you calve them to suit the grass profile. So, for example, your typical liquid milk herd with about 50% liquid milk contract that requires, for argument's sake, 1,000 litres a day over the winter period, you calve enough cows in the autumn to meet that, and then the remainder of the cows, you calve them to mimic, really, the, ca- the compact spring calving system. So... Um, the, the principal the, the principal thing to, to remember there is you, you you sort of particularly for liquid milk situation you calve as many cows as you require to meet your individual contract and then you manage the remainder of the herd to look like a compact spring uh, system and maybe one final point on that is that you know it has happened over the years where perhaps late spring calving in winter milk herds has been tolerated as in you know April May June calves the calver sorry because they would be seen as cows that will fill contracts later in the season. But our numbers and our, from a feed cost point of view would suggest that those are very expensive cows to feed and their production wouldn't be great. So the model for us would always be compact block in the autumn starting sometime around mid to late September, depending on the, the thing, uh, and then compact starting in late January, early February, with all cows done by the middle of April, really, for, for a winter milk system. Okay. Um, now, look, from a, from a feed budget point of view, what does that mean? That really means that we have to make certain alterations and we can, you know, we can we can be confident in that. Now, we probably don't build as much grass in the autumn period because we don't have demand in the autumn and the, in the early season because of the fresh calvers. We don't build to a very high peak. We build to about nine 9.50, I suppose, of a farm cover. And in the autumn, we try to, o- or sorry, in the spring, we try to open the farm with a high farm cover to suit feed demand for the, the herd going to grass in early spring. When Then when we look, Joe, you've compared, say, the average winter milk farmer with the top winter milk farmer. So what makes, um, you know, what makes a winter milk farmer very good, you know, compared with the average? OK, so there's a few things there. The first thing to say that, you know, our, our top 10 percent um, farmers would have uh, higher milk solids output. So they're doing about they'd be doing 90 kilos of milk solids extra or maybe, you know, in litres terms, they're doing close to 7,000 litres versus the average, which is doing 5,500 litres. So their output is good. But the critical point is on that is that it's not output driven by high input, M. Louise. It's actually, when you look at the numbers on it, the um, the feed cost on a per cow and per litre basis is actually quite similar, if not lower, on the high output farm. So the key point there is that the high efficiency winter milk farms are producing close to 100 kilos of milk solids for about the same amount of purchase concentrate, which is around the 1.3 to 1.4 tonne of concentrate in a normal in a normal year. So, you know, that's the key point. We're not talking about maximising milk production through additional concentrate feeding. It's really been very efficient at the use of concentrate. So that, and obviously, the efficiency of the use of concentrate is really a byword for being better at use of grass, really, and use of high-quality silage. So more grass utilised, better quality uh, silage in the winter period, um, lower amount of concentrate fed per kilo of milk produced, which is a critical thing for profitability, higher milk solids percentages uh, also. And maybe one important one that needs to 
needs to be recognised, I suppose, among the average suppliers is that, you know, part of the reason why the, the most efficient farms sell more milk is because their herds are more fertile. On average, the best guys calves are cows once every 375 days or thereabouts. The average guy, it's taken 410 to 415 days calving interval. Now, how does that relate to milk production? Very simply, the most efficient producers have cows that spend more days uh, at peak lactation, they spend fewer days dry, they have fewer cows being recycled and hanging around effectively, not working as hard as they should be. So, you know, the main thing there is that fertility, really, when we look at it in detail, fertility within a herd or between herds really seems to drive output on a per cow per year basis. Okay, now we often see this where we have herds that have really, really high milk yield potential, but they don't achieve it because the cows just simply don't calve often enough. And I think if there were two things to be focused on, it's reducing the calving interval uh, back to about 375 days and driving more milk per kilo of concentrate fed rather than just more milk per se. I think that's a really good point and actually it was my next question for you Joe in terms of you know um, you mentioned that the um, calving should be compact and you know maybe start starting off in mid to late September um, you know what are the fertility KPIs I know you mentioned a 375 day calving interval is there anything else that farmers should really push in the system for the winter milk side of things? Yeah I I, I think um I suppose Emily, Emily is one of the one that's the, you know, we say 375 day calving interval and like, you know, all of these things look great on a, on a page and in theory we'd all agree, yeah, that's fine. But the big thing is to me, and you see it over the years, is that unless there is control of the number of cows being recycled from one season to another, then progress probably won't be really made in the long run, okay? Um, what I mean by that is that you know, we've often heard it years ago where people would say that one of the big advantages of winter milk is, well, sure, if they're not in calf, I can move them into the next. Um, I can move them into the next season, if you know what I mean. They can take the empty springs and move them to autumn, and take the empty autumns and move them to spring. Now, that would say that that's you would imagine that that should keep your culling rate low. But actually, and funny enough, when you look at the figures on it, the farms that have found themselves in a position where they're always recycling cows their annual culling rate isn't actually improved. They still end up culling a lot of cows. Um, and it keeps, the big part, big problem with that is it keeps infertile herds in the cow, it keeps infertile cows in the herd. You lose control of the of the calving pattern. You end up with too many cows calving in late spring, for example, and getting rolled over. And it means then that we don't get enough days in milk. Like if you late spring calving cows, not calving till the following autumn, 12 months, it's a long time spent in late lactation, which really drops your milk yield on a, from relative potential. So one thing we've challenged people to do in a lot of visiting groups into, into the herd in Johnstown, our big challenge for groups would be to reduce the percentage of cows re- recycled from one season to another to less than 10%. So fix that, you know, ideally less than 5%, but as a starting point, say that no more than 10% of the herd would be recycled Um from your in, within a given year, and I think if we do that and limit the number of cows being recycled, the natural the natural selection of subfertile cows falling out of the system will happen over time. And like we've seen that over the years in the spring calving herds as well. Once you have high quality high EBI replacement heifers coming through to replace those cows, 
you actually, over the period of three years, perhaps three or four years, you end up fixing the fertility problem. So one of the things that it, in Johnstown would be very strong on is to say, look, at 5% is the maximum number of cows that will be recycled from one season to the other. Anything else over that that's empty will be culled as empty, similar to what you would do in your compact spring calving system. And I suppose like a comment that you would hear um, from farmers in these scenarios, Joe, would be that, oh, but she's a very good milker and she's still milking 20, 25 litres. Like, have you a comment, you know, to to respond to that? Yeah, I suppose if she's a very good milker, that's the question, Emily. Like, you know, if you said, is a cow doing 25 kilos and make a good milker? Um, that particular cow that people always talk about probably has the capacity to do 40 kilos a peak. So really, instead of saying that you're gaining 25 kilos a day, you're losing 15 kilos a day. Because there could be a cow in that place of that animal doing more than 25. You know, I mean, a lot of the farms we deal with that, you know, if they thought that that's where cows would peak at 25 kilos or that that's where the level would, they wouldn't be happy with it. Yet and all, it's still tolerable to have cows that are calved for 14 months doing that figure, if you know what I'm saying. So rather than focusing on what the individual animal has, uh, the capacity to do at 300 days in milk. Look at, look what you're losing relative to having more cows calved um, and more cows in, in early lactation. Like we all know that and looking at lactation curves that it's the first, you know, it's the first um, 200 days in milk where cows really put the, their productivity is highest. So really the simple fact is what we want is more cows spending more time in the first 200 days in milk. And like that's an old story. Like that's not... That's not unique to this country. I mean, if you look in the if you look in the really intensive dairy systems in the in the states, for example, there's a huge effort made to have cows calving uh, at least once every twelve twelve and a half months. And the, the reason for that is that to, in order to to maximise production from the farm, we need to have cows calving often enough to do it. And and I suppose that's a really really good point, Joe. And when you say that you want them calving, you know, every three, seven, five days, you are getting more of those, you know, two hundred days, the first two hundred days in milk, rather than milking a cow for say four hundred and twenty days across one lactation. I I I, I yeah, I, I think I think so. And look at it; it's something that you know we've looked at the we've looked at that over hundreds of cows data through um you know, the milk recording versus the, the um, delivered yields, Emily's, and it's something that comes up a lot where herds that might have an 8,000 kilo recorded average, you know, three, that's a 305-day equivalent average, may deliver closer to 6,000 kilos. But you're looking and saying, well, in reality, the herd is delivering 6,000 kilos but has the potential for 8,000 kilos. Now, what is the problem there? And the problem is not that the milk recording is inaccurate. The milk recording is very accurate, measured on a given day, but the, the yield is expressed as a 305-day yield rather than what the cow did in the calendar year. Now, we've looked at that over hundreds of lactation records, and we see there's a very, very strong relationship between calving interval and the gap between what the cow could milk versus what the cow does milk, if you know what I mean. So about 85 to 90% of the variation between what you think the cow's milking and what the cow's actually delivering is down to calving intervals. So it's the key, it's the one key thing that um, will drive productivity. And, you know, it's, 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 it's a way you must have the, the calving interval lower in order for cows to express their true potential to milk. Otherwise, we're producing, it's, it's an expensive way and, a, you know, a less sustainable way to be, to, be, to be using 
very high productivity cows potentially, but are that are only uh, tipping along in late lactation for too many days. It's not. It doesn't make sense if if the if the aim is to maximise productivity from the herd. It's not something that we should be um, saying. Well, you know, she's milking all right, but she should. You know, I would say she should be milking better. That that would be my contention on it. And and then just moving on then to my final question, Joe, is in relation to um, I suppose the the breeding and sire selection for herds. Now you refer to Johnstown Castle, and we'd regularly catch up with Aidan on the show, and uh, you know just discussing um, at different times of year the um, the breeding seasons and what he's using in terms of um, sires. And he says there's not a whole lot of difference between the type of bull he's selecting for his um, spring calving and autumn calving cows. Um, I suppose, what, what, what is your take on that and what are you targeting looking at bulls for winter milk? Sure. Look, the the, the thing to remember, like for, for the herd in Johnston, we have looked at spring calving versus split calving versus block autumn calving, Emma Louise. And just to give an idea, the very same genetics, the same herd genetics across all those three systems. Now, last year, our spring calving block, our spring block herd would have done just over 500 kilos of milk solids in a spring system. The very same type of cow in the winter system did almost 580 kilos of milk solids, right? So the system itself changed the productivity of the cow by the tune of 70 80 kilos of milk solids, right? Now, that's not leaving the economics out of it and whether there's, there's seed cost differences and all the rest in there, but I think the important point for, for that, the reason I mentioned that is that I think sometimes people think that in order to achieve, you know, 570, 580 kilos of milk solids, you must radically change the cow type. But the system, in a way, can deliver that block autumn calving or more autumn calving will because of the change in the milk, in the, in the milk profile for the cows. So, we would say, based on that, that if we're if our winter systems are doing the 580 kilos of milk solids and our spring systems are doing close to the 500, and the, the cow type doesn't actually change that much. It's an interesting one, and, and lots of people we talked to on this would assume that all of the difference between herds is down to the breeding and that the feed doesn't have much of an effect on milk yield. But on the other hand, the same people might tell you that the, gen, the, the fertility is all down to feeding rather than the genetics. We would argue the other way around that actually, in order to fix the fertility side of the, her- the, the equation, the genetics, you know, really, really drives that. But we see a fair degree of capacity for that type of cow to respond to different feeding systems. So, for example, the herd in Johnstown at the moment, EBI is about 150, 153 to be exact. Uh, the milk sub-index in the cow is about 50, the fertility sub-index 60. And our kilos of milk in the proof is 80, 85 kilos of milk in the proof for the cows. So with that type of cow, as I say, you know, our standard cows, you know, over the herd average is about 7,300, 7,400, hitting close to 360 protein. We'd be very happy with that. But obviously, we want to drive it on. So the, the usual story, we're picking high BI bulls, over 100 for fertility sub-index is essential. We're targeting at least 25 kilos of milk solids in the bulls, if not more, uh, given the quality of the bulls that's coming through. We pick a couple of bulls for calving ease with the heifers. The bulls will be a mix of genomic and daughter-proven. Some daughter-proven bulls we like, but a majority will be genomic to push on the, the rate of progress. We, you know, we mix and match a little bit on the on the milk sub-index, or sorry, milk kilos, to make sure the milkiest cows aren't being bred too high for milk. 
uh, and that the, the very low ones have been brought up a little bit. So that's, it's a fairly simple blend like that. So I would say high BI, um, make sure the fertility sub-index is high, select on milk sub-index rather than kilos of milk in proof. There's no evidence to say that, you know, pick and buzz, you need to have a certain number of kilos of milk in the proof. It's not really supported by the data. Um, and make sure you, you use bulls that are have calving ease proofs on your heifers. And it becomes very simple uh, after that. You sort of, at that point, you sort of sit back and watch the herd improve, you know. And, and I guess, look, look, picking up on that point at, at 580 kilograms of milk solids, that's um, very high and, and it's above the top 10% that we were talking about earlier on. And and I, and I suppose finally on that point, you know, when we're, we're talking about genetics and, and I suppose the, the future generation coming into the herd, when we look at heifers, um, you mentioned carryovers in terms of cows. And we do see some situations on farms where we breed uh, heifers to calve down in September. They don't hold... Um, um, their inseminations and we carry them on so they're calving down at about two and a half years of age or maybe they, they roll into the following year and, and calve down at, at three years old. You know, are you seeing, um, neg- like, would you see a negative effect where this is occurring on farms, um, you know, beyond calving down at two years old? It is important to, to recognise, though, that in the, in the winter milk sector, um, the rate of progress on solids has been excellent, Emily's. I mean, it's gone up from 3.28 up to 3.42 for protein, for example. Calving interval has come down by about two and a half weeks. There's lots of things have been improving over the last six or seven years. So I wouldn't like people to be saying, oh, it's, it's all very negative. I think progress has been made in the right direction. I think that's important. But one area maybe that you would be say, we'd say we're slightly disappointed with the progress would be on the percentage of heifers calving at um at two years old it's still the average winter milk producer calves about 45 percent of the heifers at two year old uh, which is too low um and there are there are implications of that for lifetime performance for subsequent fertility there's no doubt all the work done in ireland in the uk elsewhere would say that two-year-old heifers have a much better chance of long-term survival in the herd. So, you know, in you know, if people are maybe slightly lower in EBI than they would like and they want to improve fertility, the first, the, the easiest and the quickest win to improve cow survival in the herd is to insist on two-year-old calving, okay? Um, it definitely is. Um, it's definitely something that's well worth chasing. It's definitely something that's achievable but it does need a bit of work um, in the meantime. So, look, the protocols are all there. We know that our heifers need to be gaining about 20 kilos a month from birth in order to be meeting the targets. The key one is then if you have heifers that are empty at the end of the breeding season and in any given season, our advice would be to cull those as empty rather than to hold on to them. And that's the sticky one, is the, is the, is the step of saying, OK, it's better to take my loss on those heifers rather than keeping them in the system long term you know you're only talking about a small number of heifers anyway i suppose but still we would rather clean it up and insist on the two-year-olds calving Uh, but i understand at farm level in the short term anyway it might seem like a very expensive way of doing things but at some point if you put the figure if you if you make the efforts to grow the heifers to the right stage the number of heifers that you will require to, to roll on will actually will drop away very, very quickly, you know. And one final point on that, Emily's I don't honestly think, looking at a lot of herds in the winter system, I don't think the issue is that, her- that heifers are failing to meet the targets for two-year-old calving in terms of weight. If anything, 
what I would see out there is that heifers are well on target, but people refuse to submit them because they believe them to be too small. Do you know what I'm saying? So I've seen it plenty of times where people have their heifers at 350, 360 kilos and are thinking, ah, I'd like another 20 kilos on them. So learn what learning what 340, 350 kilos looks like and learning that that is the optimum weight is the most important thing. Uh, and most of these lads are brilliant at, at growing animals and very, very good stockmen. They'll, they'll, they'll manage to hurt, you know, they'll manage to hurt us very well, but it's just the case of knowing when to submit them is the, is the main, is the main, that, that's the main pinch point, I would say. And, and I guess, Joe, look, you gave us a really nice, nice rule of thumb in terms of 20 kilograms of live weight gain per month from birth. And as you say, the guidelines are out there and it's and it's maybe a simple thing of of just weighing the heifers to give yourself the confidence that they are at target weight, um, you know, ahead of yeah, breeding. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's the, the confidence to know that the heifers that stand in front of me are heavy enough. And you have to believe the scales then, uh, Emily-Louise. That's the problem. I've seen it happen where people weigh them and still don't say, ah, they're too small. But they're too small relative to what you might be used to doing, but they're plenty big. And the data and everything that has been happened and the, the farms that have switched over to that way have said, you know, it, what they probably get is, you know, ordinary enough performance as a first calver, but then from second calvers on, they will walk the they will walk the, the older heifers off the off the place in terms of performance. Yeah, and then and then and then and then finally, look. Once you know they're at target weight, and you do you know good heat detection, you should see good insemination rates. And it's just a little bit of discipline then, looking at those uh, heifers that haven't gone in calf and deciding to call them. And look, I mean, again, there is temptation there. People say I've put I've put um, the full two years into um, or the full say fifteen months into rearing them at this stage, and I and I kind of want to hold on to them. But uh, as you say, it's it's not um, it's yeah. not proven. But what to you be t- yeah. But, what you, but really what you tend to see, though, is you tend to see either somebody gets 50% calf to two-year-old or 100%, if you know what I'm saying. The, it's kind of, once you go, once you get the system right, you're going to get pretty much all the heifer. You're going to end up with a couple, you're going to end up with a couple of percent empty at the end. It's not going to be huge. And Joe, we look forward to catching up and, and, and seeing more on the Open Day in Johnstown Castle on the 4th of September. Thank you. Thank you. And that's it for this week's episode of the Dairy Edge podcast. And my thanks to Joe Patton for joining me on this week's show. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe to the podcast. You can listen on Apple and Google Podcasts as well as Spotify. And for more information, go to the Chagas website at chagas.ie. I'm Emma-Louise Coffey and join me next time for your Dairy Edge.